Good morning. <clears throat> um, sometimes I pray when I when I think about it. Um, um, in the morning, uh, I'll pray a prayer that um, God show yourself strong to me today, or um, something to the effect of God, I want to, I want to see a God moment today. At the end of the day, you know, I can point and say, I saw a God in that moment. I mean, that was clearly God. And um, you'll see as we're going through here, um, we talk about this a lot. You know, we don't, sometimes, you know, the music team and one given the message, they don't collaborate, they don't collaborate sometimes and uh we we did some i some of the songs i i wanted picked here but when eric put up the verse psalm 84:11 i was dumbfounded because that's a verse that i'm going to share in the message here and i had and i had not looked at what verses were you know were going to be shared as part of the the music portion of the service and um again it that that is that is a god moment because God is is in this place, God is in this message, and God is in that verse for us this morning. And um, so that's going to be a key. I um, just want you all to be clued into that because I believe God meant for that to be that way. Um, please turn your Bibles to Hebrews 12. We're just going to look at the first three verses this morning. And um, there's going to be a lot of other verses shared, but we'll have them on the screen for you because uh, we're going to just be going through them rapid fire here. But um, the title of the message, if you need a title, is Run to Win. Um, we're, and um, we're just going to take a moment here at the beginning and we're going to read this passage again, but just to get a different understanding of the passage as we begin. I want to read it from another translation, the New Living Translation. Um, so we can read this. You guys just follow along as, as I read the words from the screen <clears throat> from the New Living Translation, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. And there we go. Okay. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. This is a passage of scripture that I, I would encourage every follower of Jesus to memorize because we know that the race of the Christian life is long and, uh, and these words can be a guide to us and strengthen us to persevere, to keep on keeping on to push through in difficult times when we feel like giving up or quitting the race. Um, I just shared this passage, uh, Clint, Brother Clint called me last night and he was going through a hard time and I, I 
there wasn't a lot that I could help him with. You know, I couldn't come alongside him in the moment, but I gave him this passage to go read and to consider Jesus, as it says in this passage. And um, so, so I would encourage everyone to, to memorize this passage as it would be helpful as you go through hard times. The Apostle Paul often likened the Christian life to running a race. To the Corinthians, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9.24, he said, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. In other words, put all that you have into the race that you might win. To the Galatians, Paul wrote in Galatians 5.7, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? They had a good start, but allowed themselves to be hindered from winning the race. To the Philippians, Paul wrote concerning himself that his desire was that he had not run in vain. And then later he talks of straining forward and pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. With those words, you might picture the Olympic runner who in that final stretch is giving all that he has and he leans forward to cross the finish line and be the first one to break the tape. At the end of his life, he wrote to Timothy and he said in 2 Timothy 4, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. But then he said, in the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul also made mention of how when men were training for what were then the Olympics in their day, um, also known as the Isthmian Games, um, how they were so disciplined, how those, how, how those athletes were, they sacrificed and they disciplined their bodies in order that they might win a corruptible crown. In those days, they didn't give gold medals to the winners, and they also didn't have you know, second place and third place uh, uh, prizes either, but rather they received what was called a laurel wreath, you know, made of... Um, I guess laurel, but it was uh, it was a living plant, a living plant. Okay, that was fashioned into a wreath, and um, but it would dry up and eventually fade away. And he said, if they will work so hard and train and discipline themselves for a corruptible crown, how much more should we be disciplined as we are seeking an incorruptible crown? In the book of Acts, it was recorded that when Paul was on his way to Jerusalem, he didn't know what the future held, only that he was warned by the Holy Spirit that imprisonments and afflictions awaited him. And this was what Paul said concerning that in Acts 20. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my race with joy." and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. His concern wasn't about the obstacles on the race course that lay ahead. His only concern was that he finished the race with joy, the joy of winning, 
The joy of standing before his Savior and hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my joy. This testimony of Paul is what faith-filled living looks like. But when I came across this passage, um, you know, I, I read through the book of Acts a number of times, but I, it's kind of like, you know, when you read a passage and God's, you know, brings it out to you again and you don't, you see something that you hadn't noticed before. And uh, when I came across this passage, I was deeply convicted because the obstacles that I faced this week didn't involve imprisonment or floggings or impending death. But the obstacles I faced this week um, involved inconvenience to my agenda. And yet my actions in the face of those obstacles demonstrated a lack of faith, a lack of trust in my good, good father. And they didn't display a good witness to those around me, I'm, I'm ashamed to say. Now, whether the writer of the book of Hebrews was the Apostle Paul or not, I believe that the writer was familiar with these Isthmian games and had these in the back of his mind as he penned the opening sentence in verse 1. He most likely was familiar with how the stadiums would have been jam-packed with people um, as the contestants competed in the various events. And with that backdrop come the words, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, and he is no doubt referring to the 11th chapter when he speaks of the witnesses that these men and women of faith in times past have been. The thought here is not that this great cloud of witnesses is in the stands watching us run the race or looking down from heaven watching us run the race, but they are examples to us of those who have run the race and have won. These are men and women who stood true. These men and women endured and they are witnesses to us. We see the glories of their triumph in chapter 11. We see the factors that brought them victory, and we see the obstacles that they overcame in order to win. But you might say, Andy, are you sure you read chapter 11? Because many of these experienced horrendous hardships, and for some, their lives ended with gruesome deaths. So how do we know that they won the race? Well, because one, Hebrews 11.39 says this, and all these were commended through their faith. And then 1 John 5.4, which is a verse that we need to never forget, which you'll see here on the screen, says this, for what, whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory. That sounds like a win. And this is the victory that has overcome the world our faith. Don't ever forget that verse. In fact, that's be another good one to memorize, okay? Well, we're going to look at three things about the race this morning. The first is preparation for the race. The second is how are we to be engaged in it? How can we run the race with patience, with endurance? And the third thing that we will look at is how can we stay in the race until the end without quitting? So let's start with what the writer has to say to us about preparation for the race. Maybe you noticed as we were reading the passage, the phrase, let us run the race that God has set before us, that God has set before us. That's interesting, isn't it? 
we don't set our own race. We don't set the course. We don't determine the length of the course. We don't even choose the obstacles or the absence of them on the course. That's all God's doing. We're running our race, but it's by His design. Um, I'm going to tell a little story, and hopefully I'll get it right. Um, Aaron told me this story, but <clears throat> years ago, Aaron and Paul, uh, they decided to run a marathon, as crazy as that sounds. <laughs> when Aaron told me, I was like, really? Why would you do that? Uh, so a marathon's you know, around 26 miles, but it wasn't just any marathon. It was a marathon that was through woods and trails, and it wasn't like just on a pavement or something. It was through, yeah, it was like, I don't know what you'd call it, a trail marathon or something, okay? <clears throat> well, part of this trail, as Aaron tells it, you got a picture that like, it's going around like this, and then there's a section that where there's a point where you go way out here, you come around, and then you, you pass people here as you're coming back. So, you know, you can see people who are still behind you. There's a point where you're going to pass them, okay? So, um, um, so Aaron's ahead of Paul, and he's already around the loop, but he's coming to the point where he's going to pass Paul. And Aaron has a watch, which is, which is telling him how many miles he's going. And, and he's just, he's, his eyes are fixed on the watch. And his watch is saying 24 miles, or, or 21 miles, 22 miles, whatever it was. And when he passed Paul, he said, hey, Paul, three miles to go, three miles to go. <clears throat> so, you know, if you're Paul, you'd think like, man, that's great. We're not very far. And even to Aaron, that's not very far. So Aaron keeps going, and then his watch passes 26 and goes to 27, and it goes to 28, and he's thinking, what is going on here? And then he comes to a clearing, and he thought, all right, this is, this is finally the end. Comes to this clearing, and then as he gets to the clearing, then a sign that said, three more miles. He said that his gumption just went to zero. And so at that point, Aaron's response to that was he just, he couldn't run anymore. He walked the last three miles back. Um, now, as he tells it, Paul can say whether this was different, but um, when Paul got to that point, he just was like mad. and was like, Ugh! and he ran even faster to get through the race. Um, but the point is that the race they were running was designed by someone, and they determined the length. And who knows whether, you know, the people who marked it off got it wrong, whether Aaron's watch wasn't counting his steps right. I don't know. But the point is, we need to really, really get that the race we are running is God's designed race for us. And you know, if we have these preconceived expectations of what the race is going to look like, it's going to be problematic for us. Um, even today, as I was driving here, I was meditating on these things, and I was thinking, 
we don't know what our race is going to look like today. I mean, Carol didn't know what her race was going to look like yesterday, and she ended up in the hospital. I mean, it's just, we, we don't know. So um, we can't, we have to hold expectations lightly. We have to hold um, our plans lightly. Perhaps the first thing that needs to be understood is the meaning of this word race. It's the Greek word agon, and you can probably see where this is going. We get our words agony and anguish from that word. It's the word for a struggle, for a fight. Paul even used the same word twice in, in Timothy there when he said, I have fought the good, the good fight, meaning he had struggled the good struggle. <clears throat> the whole book of Hebrews, as you've probably noticed already, this writer is not pulling any punches with the audience. Um, it, it's very sober-minded, and it needed to be uh, for what was going on and for what they were facing at the time. The writer knows that the race of the Christian life is not easy. And up to now, there have been numerous encouragements to the people he was writing to to not go back to their old ways, to not give up. He's saying it may be hard, but there is a reward and it will be worth it. I mean, the Christian life is a battleground. It's not a playground. And according to the word of God, we already know of just right off the bat when we become a Christian, four enemies that we have immediately. They are, one, the world with all of its alluring attractions and temptations. And then there's the flesh within us that longs to satisfy itself and is opposed to the Holy Spirit. And then there's our arch enemy, the devil, with all of his demons who tirelessly work night and day to try to get us to give up the fight, to quit the race. And then there will be the opposition from those who oppose the things of God, the hecklers, the persecutors. So while we are here on this earth, we will be engaged in a constant fight day by day as we live out the race God has designed for us. So if we are to be engaged in a race that is this agonizing, we need to be prepared for it. We need to also know how to correctly be engaged in it, and we need to know how to stay at it without tiring and without quitting. Now, the reason I think it would be a good idea to memorize this passage is because the writer is almost like a coach, okay? He, he's, giving us, um, he's giving us tips, uh, if you will. He's giving us uh, guidance for how we can endure this faith race. And verse 1 talks about how we can prepare for the race in order to be successful in it. Um, even back to that marathon that Aaron and Paul ran, I remember when, uh, when they would go out and run, you know, three miles, five miles, ten miles. They, they months before, and this was in the winter, I, mean, I think the race was sometime in April maybe or sometime in the spring, but to get prepared for it, they had to run in the dead cold of winter um, to prepare to be able to run 26 miles. So, they, so if they had not prepared for the race that they already knew was going to be agonizing, and it was, then there was no way they would have made it through. 
In the same way that runners prepare for a race in order to be successful in it, our coach gives us three things in verse 1 that are to prepare us for the race. The first of the three is this. Let us strip off every weight. The word weight, um, another translated in New American Standard, is the word encumbrance. And think of everything, just think of everything that like as you're running, think of everything that cuts into your stride. Anything that will slow you down or get you to veer off course. Even in the ancient games, athletes would prepare by adding weight to their bodies as they trained and prepared for a race. Then right before the race, they would strip off the weights and even their clothes to the bare essentials in order to have the least amount of wind resistance and the least amount of weight to hinder them from winning the race. And it's not much different than how athletes train today. They'll, they'll carry extra weight and train with the extra weight, and, and then they'll get the lightest shoes possible. And even in today's, with the technology we have, they'll find fabric of clothing that has the least amount of wind resistance in order to gain any advantage they can to not be hindered. But as it pertains to our race, what does this look like to strip off every weight so that we can run the race of the Christian life without being slowed down? Well, in this passage, the writer leaves it to you to fill in the blanks. But I don't want to just leave us there. I would submit that the Bible speaks in many places of weights that can hold us back, that can slow us down, that are hindrances to us from winning the race. Romans 13, 11 through 14 says this. <clears throat> Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. And then Colossians 3, verse 8 says, and 9 says this, But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, an abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And then Ephesians 4.31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. So you're seeing other verses about stripping off the weight, getting rid of, putting off, um, laying aside. And we might look at the things in these verses and say, well, I don't have a problem with those. But I would argue that these things may present themselves in other ways that might be more familiar to us. That's, you know, if you all remember when we went through the book, Respectable Sins, 
Sometimes those things aren't listed in these lists here, but here's some of those, okay? Things that we need to recognize as weights that are slowing us down. Things like ungratefulness, anxiety, unforgiveness, frustration, discontentment, impatience, irritability, selfishness, pride, negative attitudes, an argumentative spirit, and so forth. I ran out of, there's probably many more you could think of, but the point is we don't need any extra baggage. You know, I've already listed, we got four enemies already. You know, we don't need any extra baggage in the race. We don't need any extra weight. The race, the agony, as it were, will be hard enough as it is. We're in this race to win, and so we cannot let ourselves be caught up in the things of the flesh that are a hindrance to our spiritual walk. The things mentioned in these lists will be hindrances to you running the race and winning. So I hope you get the picture. We are to lay aside every weight that slows us down. Now let's look at the next phrase. Let us lay aside the sin which so easily trips us up. In the New American Standard, it says it this way, lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us. It's worth noting that this word, the, the, is a definite article in the original text before the word sin, meaning the sin, the specific sin. In the context of chapter 11 preceding these verses, what has been the context all the way through chapter 11? <clears throat> it's faith. The last two weeks we read of all the men and women who lived by faith. So what is the sin? In my understanding, since I have the pulpit today, the sin is lack of faith. Put bluntly, it's refusing to trust God. We come to an obstacle and it's difficult. <clears throat> How do we get through those situations? Do we stand there full of self-pity, wondering how this kind of thing is happening to somebody like me? Or do we get angry and throw up our hands and vent with a few expletives? No, we get through those situations by trusting him, leaning on him, casting our cares on him, being anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, letting our requests be made known to God. I think a great example of this is when you just, if you read through the Old Testament and you read through the life of Moses, something happens, Moses goes to his knees. Something happened, Moses goes to his knees. The one time he didn't, he got angry and he hit the rock, you know, and, and God was like, wrong response. But Moses was, was a great responder at just going to the Lord in prayer when things weren't going the way he thought they should be going. We are to lay aside, to strip away the sin of unbelief. So how does unbelief, how does lack of faith trip us up or entangle us? Well, I'll just use my own experience. When I'm not walking in faith, 
my responses to the obstacles that God has created for my race become irritations. They irritate me because they interrupt my plans. Or fear creeps in and begins to take over and drives my decisions and actions. Or selfishness begins to consume me. Certainly pride creeps in and all of a sudden, even though I wouldn't say it out loud, my actions and reactions reflect that the world needs to revolve around what I want. And then when I'm not getting what I want, it can even spiral into depression. What ultimately happens is that these things become weights that impede my progress or hinder my witness. And they work against the Holy Spirit's desire to complete God's plans and purposes in my life. I just want to take, you know, a quick 30 seconds to invite everyone to just pause for a moment and think back over your past week. Think about the hard times of the week. You have your list, and I have mine. For me personally, it was a rough week. I encountered many obstacles, especially at my job. And I have to confess, I would grade myself with an F. I got an F as it came to the testing of my faith more than I got a passing grade. And the outcome was irritability, frustration, and negative attitudes. But I didn't always get an F, okay? The few times when I was trusting God, I felt how great it was. And you know the difference? It was just that I was trusting God. It wasn't that the obstacles up and vanished into thin air, because they didn't. But trusting God in the obstacles changed me. It changed my attitude toward the circumstances. It kept me from feeling sorry for myself or blaming someone else for something that had happened. In men's Bible study this week, it was on the chapter about lies we believe about circumstances. And uh, one thing that Jamie shared was when we have circumstances that hit us, asking the question, God, how are you in this? God, where, where are you in this? And, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a good response to have. Because then we're thinking, like, we know that it's part of the race. You know, rather than this came out of nowhere, God had nothing, didn't, I mean, I'm just going to get irritated and angry about it. Um, it's almost like um, I remember um, I don't know there was that Bible study years ago called Experiencing God and the one thing that hit me I don't remember anything about it except for one thing that uh, I think Henry Blackaby was the guy's name that wrote it that he said do you find yourself praying God bless what I'm doing or God what are you doing I pray that you would Show me what you're doing so that I can be a part of it. Show me what you're blessing, and I want to be a part of it. So just turn the whole tables of like off of like, I've got a plan, you bless my plan, and know like, have an awareness that God is working, and how can I be a part of what God is working? And it's like, even in our circumstances, that 
I mean, this really this message is for me, um, and I'm sure some you I, you all too. But it's just um, when things happen that I aren't my plans. We need to see things as that is God. That is what God is doing. That's what God is doing. And so, how can I be a part of it? How does he want me to be a part of this disaster that happened at work? And now, you know, instead of complaining that, like, that's going to add extra hours and workload and all of this, I mean, set that aside. God, how do you want me to be a part of it? How, you know, so anyway, I, that's, that's my uh, transparency. <clears throat> um, now, some of you this morning feel like you're really up against it. And um, I urge you to run to the Lord and say, Lord, I am really up against it. <clears throat> and I've got to come to terms with this. It's in your hands. Help me to trust you in this thing. This passage says that Jesus not only initiates our faith, but he also perfects it. I think an appropriate prayer that is 100% in line with his will is that he will perfect your faith. Because he says that that's what he does. When you think of the man that said to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe that was a prayer that Jesus would perfect his faith. I believe that's a legitimate prayer that we can pray. We need to pray the same often. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 55 was up against it. He was feeling the weight of not only many adversaries being against him, but on top of that, an extremely close friend had stabbed him in the back. And I want us to just read this. I'll read through it as it's on the screen. And let's look at what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 55. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. At this point, I mean, he's being very emotive in his prayer. And, um, you know, God gave us a right brain for a reason. I mean, so we can, we can pray. We can be emotive to the Lord. Um, he, he, this guy is, is at a point where he, he wants to quit. He, he's growing weary. Then he goes on, I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace, for it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him, but it is you, 
a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul and safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Casting your burden on the Lord is taking your pack off and handing it over to him to carry. That heavy weight that has been a burden for you, you need to take it off, give it to him, and trust him with it. So I mentioned that the writer, our coach, had three things for us to do to prepare for the race. The last one is this, to determine that we are going to persevere under whatever obstacle comes our way. He says it this way, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. The key word for us is the word endurance. Some translations use the word patience, but it's the Greek word hupomeno. Hupo means under and meno means to abide. So put them together, to abide under. Have you ever seen pictures of burrows or mules um, with their little spindly legs and they're carrying these heavy loads that are piled a mile high on their backs and you just wonder how, you almost think it's like cruel and unusual punishment to these animals, but evidently God made them to be able to do that. I I mean, they don't put them on like, horses or other things, you just see these little mules, you know, doing this. Um, Well, this word was used for that. Basically, the mules hupomeno under the weight. They don't escape from it. They abide under it. They endure through it. And that is what running the race with endurance looks like. The writer is communicating that the Christian race is not really a dash, as we would think like a 100-yard dash or a 200-yard dash. It's more like a marathon. But I think we have something in our day that may be even a better picture of the Christian race. It's called the ultra-Spartan race. I don't know if anyone's heard of Spartan races, but if you've never heard of Spartan races, you might soon, because um, I read an article where They might become a part of the 2028 Olympics. But anyway, there are many types of Spartan races depending on how the length and the number of obstacles. But it's basically a marathon with obstacles. Okay, And I liken the Christian race to the ultra-Spartan race, which is the one that calls for ultimate endurance. 
It's a 31-mile race with 60 obstacles in its path. And Aaron and Paul are going to run one next year. (laughs) In any race, there are a lot of people who start out with a great burst of speed. You know, you see them, they're quick out of the blocks. Uh, When you see people like this, you surely think they're going to win the race. But in time, as some of them reach the obstacles, perhaps a little hardship comes their way in following Christ, or a little persecution arises um, for the sake of Christ, or doubts and fears begin to consume their minds, or maybe they are offended by someone or something, and they harbor unforgiveness in their hearts. They stop loving, forgetting that love does not take into account a wrong suffered and ultimately they quit the race. Those who run marathons or ultra-Spartan races need to learn to pace themselves, and we need to learn to pace ourselves to run with patience. Paul wrote to the church in Rome in chapter 2, verse 7, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. I've got these verses in there if you want to pull them up. Yes. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. And then earlier in the book of Hebrews, we read in chapter 6 that they were not to be sluggish, but imitators who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In other words, imitate those who have won the race and received the prize, and that's through faith and patience. In the 10th chapter of Hebrews, we read... For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. And then this one is really good. In Revelation, we see the church of Ephesus being commended for their patient endurance. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Keep in mind, all of what we just talked about was just preparing for the race. We're not in the race yet. We're just prepared for it. Now, on a side note, since I said we're going to talk about how to be engaged in it and how to not quit, that doesn't mean that I'm only one-third of the way through the message. It's almost like... We're near over, okay? But because half the battle of winning the race is in the preparation for it, okay? So that took most of the message. So we're going to go on to the next part, but before I do, I want to tell you about a friend of mine who wrestled in high school, and some of you might have wrestled probably, but um, if you know about wrestling, typically wrestling matches three two-minute periods. And uh, his coach during practice would have them wrestle for six-minute periods, And he said it was so exhausting that they literally thought he was trying to kill them. Um, But when they got into the real matches, they realized that he was a good coach because he was coaching them to have endurance. And that endurance led them to winning many matches, which led to great joy. So we strip away the things that slow us down. We certainly strip away the sin of not trusting God. And then we determine that we are going to abide under whatever obstacle comes our way. Now let's see what our coach says about how we are to engage in the race itself. Verse 2 says, We do this, that is, endure through the race, 
by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. How much time did you spend this week focused fully on Christ? As we just sang, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. This is what we are to do as we engage in this race. The Greek word for keeping our eyes, or in other translations, uses the term fixing our eyes on Jesus is the word afaraho, and it means to look away from all else so that you won't be distracted, so that you can concentrate on one thing, in this case, Jesus. While engaged in this journey from earth to heaven, we can wholeheartedly endure this journey by fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, our Savior, being concerned about little else other than him. That's what we need to do, be concerned Just fix our eyes on him, his life, his plan, his will, his pleasure. It's amazing what this does to selfishness when we do that. It's just like the song says, when you focus on him, the things on earth will grow strangely dim. They will drift into the background. They aren't distractions anymore. In Hebrews 11, we have a great cloud of witnesses, but Jesus is the ultimate witness. He's our prime example who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That word despise is not like you might think of it like disgust, but rather it means to think little of. In other words, because Jesus' eyes were fixed on the joy of being seated at the right hand of God, being our advocate night and day so that we can be in a right relationship with the Father The shame of the cross was of little account to him. Jesus, in those times when he was facing the obstacles, looked beyond the problem. He looked beyond the hardship. He looked beyond the pain. He looked beyond the suffering to the joy that was promised, that was set before him. In our lives, living for Christ in a world that is strongly anti-Christ, we're going to experience persecution. We're going to experience hardships but we need to look beyond the obstacles to the goal, to the prize, even as Jesus did. As you all know, the race is not easy at times, and the many obstacles often make us become weary and tired. And there is even at times a temptation to drop out of the race, people thinking it just isn't worth it. But that's when you lose sight of the goal. When you remember the goal again, then it all becomes worthwhile again. That's why even coming here on a Sunday morning, you know, I I never... I don't think I've ever regretted getting myself here, you know, on a Sunday morning because it helps me see the goal again, not lose sight of the goal. To one day stand before your Savior having finished the race and to hear his words of commendation, well done, you've been a good and faithful servant into the joy of the Lord and to realize that that joy is eternal. It's never ending. Then with Paul you'll realize, and I think David shared this verse last week, and I think it's in 2 Corinthians, that the present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. For our momentary light affliction works an exceeding eternal weight of glory. And so how important that we keep our eyes upon the goal, looking unto Jesus, keeping our eyes focused on him. Paul said, I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's see, I am almost finished. So just hang in there for a second. 
Uh, I'll give you another story real quick. When Drew was trained to become a Marine, <clears throat> you know, he spent, I don't know whether it was like three months, four months, it was for just the, <clears throat> the basic training. But you don't become a Marine until you finish this last test, and it's called the crucible. It was a, it was a test of endurance. <clears throat> and uh, it was something like this grueling eight-mile trek. And only after completing that would they really you know, call those recruits Marines. And I'll try to recount this the best I can, but <clears throat> from what I, I understand from him, the first seven miles, the team works together to make it through. And one thing that stood out to me from the story was that they would have a leader go ahead with a flag, holding a flag that all the others in the group could fix their eyes on. And so they have something to, as you know, they're experiencing the hardships and the grueling and getting tired and weary, this leader is carrying this flag that they can fix their eyes on to keep going, keep following that flag. Um, they have that goal in front of them. And, uh, and then if different ones got weary along the journey, it was on the others to help them to press on in order to make it through. And that makes me think of how this verse says, let us run the race. We need each other in this race. We need to come alongside each other to pick up the weary and encourage one another to not quit. However, in the eighth mile of the trek, it, it, it's, it's a steep climb to the top of a peak. And at this point, how they have it is you don't work together. It's every man for himself. And in the same way, there will be times in our lives where we will find ourselves alone, not without God, he will always be by our side. But sometimes we'll find ourselves without someone else to come alongside us. I think of Clint right now. We can't be right by his side. We can't come alongside him right there, put our arm around him and, 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 and help him through tough times. But we need to, in those times, we need to learn how to fix our eyes on Jesus and consider what he went through and gain strength from knowing that the strength he relied on from the Holy Spirit to get through is the same strength that we have available to us. And that brings us to the third point in verse three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Think about that. Envision it. Imagine it. Remember it. And if you can't remember it, get into the scriptures and read it because it's been preserved for us. The word consider there means to consider by way of comparison. So consider what he endured and compare it to what you're enduring. And my burden is hardly anything to what he endured as he bore the sins of the world on the cross. It's remarkable what visualizing the cross can do in the midst of our burdens. But Jesus' suffering went beyond his physical suffering on the cross. And I'm just going to share this one phrase from the book. Again, we read this past week about the circumstances because it goes beyond just thinking of the scourging and the, the pain of being nailed to a cross. It says, He not only suffered the scourging of the Roman government, as did tens of thousands of others, including the thieves crucified on either side of him, but he also suffered all the wrath of the Father that rightly should have fallen on sinners. Yet it fell on him, all the suffering in hell that you and I would have received without Christ, he took for us. That is hardship. 
That is circumstances to which nothing can be compared. Why are we to consider him? It says, so that we won't become weary and give up. This world is no friend to grace to help us on to God. And sometimes we need to be reminded of that. I know that today's message is sobering because it's the reality of the Christian race, and I'm here to encourage us to endure, to stay tough, to not give up, to not quit. And um, I want to encourage you with a promise. God oftentimes encourages his people with promises, and this is the promise that was already shared. Psalm 84, 11. And it says, um, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Our problem is that we think we know better than God what a good thing is for our lives than he does, isn't it? We wanted something to go a certain way, and it didn't. If you believe and trust him and his word and his promises, then how you wanted it to go was not the good thing for you. So let's trust in him because Father knows best. We're engaged in this race, all of us. That's why we come together. We need each other. And this is the one place where we're in the majority. And we're reminded by the voices that sing next to us and pray alongside us and worship with us that we're going to win this race. That's what we remind ourselves of. And we're going to finish this race together. And when we do, we're going to say, Lord, you get all the credit because you're the one that empowered us from start to finish. You even were there when we grew weary and you lifted us back up and put on our feet and established our goings. And I'm just going to finish by putting up Psalm 40. This is in the King James Version because it uses this term, established my goings, which I just like the phrasing of it. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God, Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Let's bow our heads in prayer. <clears throat> Father, I pray that that would be true <clears throat> for us today, that many would see and fear and trust in you as they see that we are trusting in you, Lord, that you are the one who establishes our goings. You are the one who is with us every step of the way. God, I pray that you would help us to trust you. I pray that you would help us to, in our unbelief, God, so that we can be a faithful witness to those around us especially in, in hard times, Lord. And um, God, I pray that you would reveal to us this morning if we're running the race in our own strength. And if we're not, 
right now, I pray that You would reveal to us when we, when we do, when we cut ourselves loose and, and begin to do that so that we'll go back to abiding in You, Lord, and be running the, the race in Your strength and faith in You. And God, I pray that You'd help those who are weary today. I pray that You would lift those heavy hearts Help them to turn their eyes to You, Lord, and remind us all that earth has no sorrow, that heaven can't heal. And Lord, enable us to leave our burden at the cross and run this race with joy. And God, I pray that, that You would work through us, Lord, to even be transparent with one another, that we might bear one another's burdens, God, that we... You said, let us run the race together. And Lord, we, we do want to be our brother's keeper. We want to help one another. And we all need help at times. And God, I pray that we would let each other know when we need help. I pray that you'd give us an awareness of those around us, even an other-mindedness, so that we would be thinking of others who need help. And that You would lead us in how we can help. How we can, God, I, I just pray that You would um, reveal to us, Lord, things that are slowing us down that we need to lay aside. Then help us to walk in faith, Lord. Help us to fix our eyes on You. Help us this week, Lord, and times of hardship to consider You and the hostility that You experience, not just towards sinners, Lord, but even, even the wrath that You took on for us, God, and uh, that we might not grow weary, that we might continue to run the race to win, Lord, and that we might run it in a way that we are experiencing joy, along the way. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.